Long time not talking to this microphone. Maybe I forgot how to do that. It was a long time I didn't do it. Time goes by so slowly. Hello everybody and welcome to Brumvagoon. You will not get there on a road bike. Wait a second, let me stop this music, otherwise I'm gonna get some barneys. Yes, better. Way better. How you doing, people? Here is super good. I mean, it's so cool to be outside, it's so cool to ride in bikes, and it's so cool actually to be again in this setup situation in front of a microphone telling you another amazing story. But first of all, I have to say thank you. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can share, subscribe and do whatever you want about this podcast in your application, the thing that you're using for listening to my voice. And as well, remember that down there below, you will find the coffee link where you can support this podcast. Another support that is coming directly from the great people at Komoot, the application that helps you exploring. Have you seen that around in their social media there are a lot of super cool things and actually they are telling really the story of what adventure is. For me, adventure is being out on the bike and having a mic and be there and having the possibility on telling you the story of it. Like I did in the last episode, it was super cool being live on the road and then telling the story from there. It was really, really, really good what else i can say thanks 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 ah yeah we are gonna talk probably straight away about the episode of today yes but first maybe something that i can mention is that yeah you can follow myself and the broom wagon podcast on the instagram broom wagon podcast or calamaro cc and i was talking about the episode of today just for you to know the episode of today has been in collaboration with the inferno race the inferno the bicyclette inferno race i decided to be partner with them because i think it's a great story to tell because it's an event that is really familiar i mean it's not something that is gonna scale until the end of the world but it's just something that gives you a good vibe inside of the alps but you're gonna know more about the concept of it pretty soon and also is an event that makes of inclusivity one of their pillars and that's super great and super good we are partnering up this means that down below you're gonna find the code that is inferno let me see inferno bw22 so if you want to subscribe you're gonna have five percent of discount also partnering up because i will be ambassador of the race this means that i'm gonna be on the road in one way or the other so you're gonna know also something more about some adventure that can be over there yes on the road around all the alps that's super good and this is also giving me the opportunity of putting another angle of story into this podcast but i want to say also a couple of words on the person that i'm going to interview and this Constantine. I met Constantine, super talented person, photographer and trumpet player and as well great cyclist adventurer and also is closing a PhD in uh, politics, I think he's going to say that. 
into the episode. It's not a problem at all. You're going to listen to that. Otherwise, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. I met him during an event, during the Gravel Epic and the recce of it. He was a photographer. Then we started talking and then we decided that we could partner up for this event. But this episode is not going to tell you only about the story of the Inferno Race. We're going to say why it happens, how it is, what are the vibes, and also a bit of the adventure that Constantine made on the bike. Another thing that is worth mentioning is that thanks to this episode and also to the post that you're going to see in my social media, that's why I told you that you need to follow Calamari Brunwagen, you can also have the possibility to win a free spot for the event. Not for a couple, just for one person, because the person that is going to win is going to ride with me into the Brunwagen team for two days up to the Alps. And I can tell you that I talk a lot, so probably... You need to get trained not only to be on the bike, but also to listen to me most of the time. All the rules are going to be in the social media in the launch of this episode. So please check that space. Now it's time to jump into the episode. We're talking today about a partnership that was built during, during, during some gravel riding. I mean, I was riding and even if Constantine is way more fit and capable and probably also technically uh gifted than I am on the bike he was not riding because you had a broken leg don't you that time I broke a leg last year in July yes yeah so basically we were riding for the Graveletti epic um, recon and we got to know each other we talked a lot about cycling and stuff I mean Constantine is a super talented rider a super talented photographer and he's also the organizer of an event that myself and the broom wagon in general is gonna be partnering up partnering up because it's a cool event discovering the Alps and that's something that we all love and also super inclusive because it means also giving the possibility to everybody who likes to ride bikes to be really comfortable on being out there with a good not so much but a bit of support with another person riding up the Alps and knowing that at the end of the day they're gonna have a good meal a good accommodation and the day after they're gonna be fresh and ready to ride the bike. I'm talking about the Inferno race and I'm talking with Constantine Klein. Did I make any mistake with any of those names that they said? Um, most people say Constantine Klein in German is actually pronounced Kleine because um, the E is not silent, but um, I think we are on a first name basis anyway, so um, we can let that slip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, as you said, I'm also a cyclist. Um, I dabble a bit into photography in my first life i'm actually writing a phd in international law which i can i stop you one second constantine just yeah. to show to tell to everybody how talented you are you are also a trumpet player don't you yeah um a bit less during the pandemic because um it wait wasn't a second to... wait a second i have the covid jar I have to say that, sorry if I interrupt you again, every time that you are mentioning COVID, a coin is going to go in the COVID jar and all the content of this COVID jar is going to go to Baikigis, that is the charity in Berlin who teaches refugee women to ride the bike. Just to be aware, everybody, if you want to actually add some coins in the COVID jar, the link is down below. Thanks for naming it, Constantine. Okay. I hope I don't bankrupt you today during the recording. Uh, um, I'm going to ask you for some money <laughs> next time, actually. Don't worry. See if you're bankrupting yeah. me. <laughs> okay. Um, so my first life, I'm normally doing a PhD in international law, which I'm also trying to finish by the end of this year. Um, and I have been cycling almost all my life. Um, I kept putting drop bars even on my 24-inch kids' wheel when I were, um, bike when I was in 
um, primary school and I've been also bike traveling to the Pamir Highway in Tajikistan or these wow. kind of things. And since um, 2019, I'm also doing cycling more on a sportive perspective, actually training, um, have participated in a few triathlons and um, longer races on the bike, like the Chasing Cancellara series. And I'm for two years now um, managing the social media and um, some longer endurance rides for um, Bicyclet, which is a bike store here in Geneva and a bike travel organizer. And they are also organizing the Bicyclet Inferno race. So I'm also doing the social media and the marketing for that. That's super great. You were talking about, so you gave us an amazing introduction. Let's go a bit deep into that, but not so much. Otherwise, I can talk there forever. Talking, uh, Tell me about the Pamir Highway in Tajikistan. I mean, that's the dream of everybody who actually starts dipping their toe into the water of ultra endurance, right? Everybody talks about that. I still have not personally been there. But I know a lot of people that did it, and that's really the thing. I was close because, anyways, I was in uh, in Kyrgyzstan. But tell me more about that. How is it? How was it for you? Um, it, I know that the people who are listening to this podcast won't be able to see it, but there's still photos from that trip so hanging beauty. behind me on the wall. I had after finishing my law studies in Germany, um, and after the final written exams, I had about five months wait for the results and before my oral exam. So I decided to travel somewhere I hadn't been before and picked um, Central Asia. Um, I was in Uzbekistan, Tajikistan and Kyrgyzstan because you can both cycle and go climbing there. Oh, yeah. So I took all my mountaineering gear on the bike, um, flew to um, Tashkent in Uzbekistan and then cycled all along the Pamir Highway to the Tajik um, Kyrgyz border and then climbed the 7,000 meter peak, the peak lane in there on the border. And it was an absolute amazing experience. It is a stunningly beautiful area. And everyone who has the chance should travel there also because the people who are living there are extremely friendly, very welcoming. And um, even though it's a very poor region, um, you will never feel um, not welcome anywhere. It's just if you, especially if you're cycling, people would just stop you and invite you over for lunch or to stay at their place or um, to show you their dog or these kind of things. And it's a really, really amazing place to travel. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's super great. And actually, you were mentioned Kyrgyzstan. I was in Kyrgyzstan. Anyways, all that part there, Central Asia is just beautiful. There's a reason why they call it the Switzerland of Central Asia. I'm talking about Kyrgyzstan. Mountains are just so pristine and cool and the landscape are breathtaking. The only thing is you have to be aware that you're really remote. Sometimes you don't have any fresh drinkable water for like 200 kilometers, mm. which means if you're traveling by bike, you have to carry 12, 15 liters of water sometimes with you, which makes it quite tough. Some days I pushed more than I actually rode my bike, but um, it's definitely an experience I don't want to miss. <laughs> yeah. But on the other side, if you actually stop, you stop in any yurt or whatever, you are going to get something to drink. Maybe not water. Maybe it's going to be, how is the name of it? Um, kumus, the fermented horse milk. But still, and, um, it's not super good for your hydration, but it's at least it's something uh, to drink. Stay away from that if you're not from the region. I had bad food poisoning with that in Korok in Tajikistan. I have another friend who ended up in hospital in mongolia Oof. after he drank that <laughs> so um if you're not at least from eastern europe it seems um that doesn't work with your stomach <laughs> i don't know what happened to me because i'm super 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 weak about stomach yeah. i got ulcer i have usually when i'm stressed everything started from the stomach but i got kumus 
three times. So it's not the most pleasant, I would say, flavor, I have to say, but it didn't have problem. I got problem with that, with something else, but I'm not going to go into details mm. about that because my, my tummy bug, my tummy bugs are pretty harsh. And that time it was super harsh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's, you're right. Maybe sip it. Don't yeah. drink it when you're really thirsty. Especially if you're going to wear bib shorts the next day. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Anyways, anyways, Constantine, thanks a lot for the intro. Then shall we go a bit more into the Inferno race? Tell me more. What is it? Of course. The Inferno race is a, t- a race um, exclusively done in teams of two, um, which starts in ANSI. Um, about six kilometers south of Geneva um, on a very beautiful lake as well and finishes at the Mediterranean Sea. Um, It's a stage race. That means the clock stops at night. It's not like one of these um, ultra-endurance races where you can win by just not sleeping. So you have early starts and long stages, but um, you can be sure that you will be sleeping very well um, after the first stage. And um, it's also a supported race, which means um, there's a feed station on all the important passes. Um, the only thing we don't have um, compared to the larger events like the ETAP Tour, the roads are not closed for other traffic, um, which would be pretty difficult over the length mm-hmm. of the race. Uh, speaking of the lengths, um, the two stages are about um, 250 kilometers on the first day and about 235 kilometers on the second day with respectively about 6,000 and 5,600 meters of climbing, which might sound like a lot, but uh, it I is, would... Constantine, um, just be clear, it is a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but you, because of the early starts, um, the stages start around 4.30 in the morning, you have about um, 13 to 14 hours to complete each of the stages meaning completing to the last top of a climb, um, the downhills of the last climb in every day, meaning from the Col d'Isoire on the first day and from the Col de Tourigny on the second day are neutralized or not counting for the race time because we want people to be able to enjoy that part. Yeah, and also to be, I would say, also to be safe and relaxed, right? To calm down because the day is over. Once that you did, yeah. in general, once that you did the Col de Isoar, after before, we're going to talk about that, but after before, there is just to mention one, the Col de Calibier, the Galibier, just to mention one. I think that they should actually relax and say, okay, it's done. I can go down, not like a daredevil, but at least enjoying it. Yeah, we're trying to keep it um, safe. Um, uh, we also changed uh, slightly the route, for example, for this year, before we were staying for the first night in um in a small village on the uh, halfway down the um, Col d'Isoire. Um, this year we decided that it will be um, all the way down at bottom in Guillestre. So there's no um, downhill in the dark at the start of the second stage, which could po- cause problems in the first year after a storm. There were some stones in there and one guy even flatted uh, on both the front and the rear tire. Okay. He went on to re- win the race, but... Um, it, these things can happen and we, so we decided to make it safer um, adding another bit of downhill on a first stage especially if it's neutralized will not be a big deal but um, cutting out the downhill in the dark um, at the start of a stage makes it safer absolutely absolutely before going a bit more into details i want to ask you a question we all know that right we have been talking about that a lot inferno looks like it's something that is pretty common all over the place for a lot of races i know that there is a triathlon there is a trail running marathon. 
it's as a well. Ski mountaineering in, race. In Monter- I mean, everybody likes yeah. the Inferno, um, probably because of the Italian heritage about uh, La Divina Commedia, the comedy and everything like that. But why well, that? We are not coming from Dante. Um, essentially, the original idea was to have something with a name, with a reference from hell to paradise. Um, the internal WhatsApp group we have for the coordination of the marketing of the race is still called uh, Bicyclette Hell. <laughs> okay. Um, but we decided that um, putting both um, hell and paradise in a name would just make it too long. So um, it was opted to go with the Inferno name, but it doesn't have a reference to Dante in our case. Yeah. I would say that actually maybe, I don't know, it gives for sure a bit of epicity because uh, as I was telling you before, you were saying, ah, it sounds a lot. Anyways, it's a tough race and it is a Mm. tough event. We all know that. So Inferno, I can understand, but also on the other side, I can understand a lot also Paradiso because you're really, really, really going to the best climbs around there Mm. in the Alps. Mm. Yeah. And, um, it's also in the first year when I participated myself in the race in 2020, I raced the first official edition of the race. I saw that was a reference to the temperatures. We had a very hot year and we had 45 degrees on the climb up to the um, Col de Turino, uh, Turini on the second day. Um, so I was feeling like I was actually going through um, the inferno and the fires um, of the hell. But um, last year it was slightly less warm so it might be that it's not only a reference to the um temperatures but if you have heard about cafe de cyclis closing for example they have uh, they call the call the turini and the other mountains around the region la fournaise um which is essentially the french word for inferno yes yeah <laughs> yeah no no that's uh, that's great so let's go a bit more into the event itself so how many years at it has been taking part um this year will be the third official edition there was a edition zero in 2019 which was mostly to try it out that was already um we had a photographer there to take photos but that was without timing it wasn't in fixed teams of two it was a a more like a ride with friends atmosphere but it was mostly to try out um where you could put the feed stations on the passes so if if it's doable if it's a good idea to have the stages laid out like this if we have to rework the route or these kind of things and then there have been two official editions in 2020 and 2021 um i know that you will hate me for this but both of them were kind of in the shadow of the pandemic with rather um small um, groups of participants in um 2020 it were 11 teams, meaning 22 riders. And last year we had 14 teams with 28 riders. So uh, this year will be the third edition. um, And we're trying to grow the race, but not like by 10 times as many participants. But the goal for this year is to have um, around 30 to 35 teams with then around 70 participants. Also, because if we would go over 100 participants, we would need all kind of different permits. Um, we would have, have to have an ambulance all the time on the race and these kind of things. So this is for now the kind of growth we are envisioning for this and maybe the next year that we stay just above, below, sorry, just below this 100 um, yeah. limit. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Let's talk a bit then about how it's going on and the concept itself. Let's go through a couple of things. So... The most important thing, I mean, the first thing that pops up into my mind is pairs. Why is into the concept the fact that you can only take part to the Inferno in a pair? 
Um, this is actually coming from uh, the founders of Biciclet and the Biciclet Inferno Race. Um, Biciclet is a travel agency for cycling is around since 2013 but as a bike store um, it's only since 2019 so also the first year for the store was the first year for the inferno and both of the founders but especially Basile um, has done a lot of ski mountaineering races like the Pyramenta race um, the um, he's still dreaming of doing the um, Patrouille des Glaciers in Switzerland but now he has a little kid so that might have to wait for a few years mm-hmm. and these are also all done in pairs um, that's done partly for security aspects. If you have to on a remote course, and even though all these roads over these mountain passes are paved, um, you can be in some very remote places without much mobile phone connection and so on. Um, it's much safer if you have a partner. Um, but it also changes the aspect of how you race. If it, you're not just looking on yourself, but you have to take care of a partner or, or look how you're partner is doing um, that um, changes the atmosphere and it also makes it easier to go through most people i've spoken with and myself um, have said that they were very close to giving up at one point during the race at least um, having issues with food with nutrition with not drinking enough but if you then know that you're also letting down someone else um, because you can't finish the race alone um, that normally meant that they still pull through and um we're happy that they had the partner with them. So it's for these three aspects, we want to make the race safe. So it's better if you have someone close to you all the time during the race, especially as we don't have closed roads or motorbike support as um, some of the bigger events. Um, it's, um, it changes the atmosphere. Um, you're not um, just getting a lot of ego monsters on the course who just want to win and then leave and not talk to anyone else again. Um, it's a much more convivial aspect, as you would say in French. Um, and then um, it's also um, to motivate yourself or your team to actually pull through with um, the charity course. This uh, this great actually this is great and you are right um, something that I never realized it's putting a race in pairs you are really expanding the uh, the social part of it because anyways okay you can also have pairs that usually are pretty keen of riding super hard and blah 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 but already having already close to you a partner to talk with it makes easier to express a bit more open yourself a bit more also with the other riders. Mm. also it doesn't have to be your life partner for the race um, yeah. like it can be a friend a brother um we have seen everything there were um actual couples racing together um, we also have several couples signed up for this year already but it's also often um just friends who want to challenge them together um uh, siblings um there's all kind of uh, pairs it, it just because it's in pairs it doesn't have to mean that you have to um also be life partners in any other sense yeah 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 makes sense sorry i need to because we are going to open at a certain point kind of a question and answer part and i'm already writing yeah. down no no no. don't check on our questions because i didn't write it down so it's gonna be me <laughs> writing yeah. them down but uh let's see mm. arriving Perfect. Another question that I want to ask you, and uh, I'm referring exactly on what you were saying before. So 
you said that, okay, you want anyways a grow on this race, but not such an extremely thing. Because we're talking about that also, remember, in the first time that we talked and also on the other side, the flavor of the event is a bit more like a family gathering than a huge, um, let's say, the, the huge race, like a Grand Fondo or whatever, with several thousand people are taking part to the starting line, and they actually... They go there, they race, they go back home. You are actually waiting for something else. You are expecting from the race something else. From where does it come? I mean, I think that everybody who organizes something wants to see an exponential growth and, sorry if I say that, making out a good business out of that. For you, it's a bit different. It's a bit more about the experience that people are living during the event. Yeah, essentially... Um, Basil and Tomas, the two co-founders of Bicyclet, wanted to create an event they actually wanted to participate themselves in. Mm -hmm. And um, they have done plenty of racing. Otherwise, um, Basil especially has done a lot of mountain bike racing as well. And um, they were always feeling that there's this bit of um, family or friends aspect missing. Um, there's... Um, plenty of races where you race and then at the finish line you're picked up by your um, family or some friends and you never see anyone from the other races again and this was not the idea and Bicyclet is at the moment trying to kind of get out with a zero out of this event more or less um, it's not that this is bringing a lot of um, money to the store at the moment or um, their business in general so it's more the idea to have an event that's sustainable in itself meaning um, that they don't lose money on um, the business side of things but which has still the atmosphere of an event they actually want to race themselves Basil has also participated in the last two editions himself uh, Thomas has been always the one who was setting up the feed stations on the mountain passes and um Essentially, a lot of the people around the race are also part of the larger bicyclet family, if you want to say. The father um, of Basile Bertrand has been driving the broom wagon and um, trying to convince people not to give up um, as late as possible in the passes um, over the last two years. Um, the start um, or the breakfast before the start of the first stage is in a... Um, a cycling cafe close to Ansi, which is owned by a good friend um, of Basile, who has also raced all three editions, even the zero edition of the bicycle race. And um, it's it's not that we are kind of a close group who only wants to participate um, among ourselves, but the idea is still that everyone who comes um, doesn't sit alone at the dinner table after the stages, meets new people, meets new friends, maybe meets someone he wants to go to a different cycling event in the next year or just on cycling holidays. And um, that's essentially the idea of having this more family and friends part of the race that it's small enough that you still get to know new people because it's not so intimidating to just go through a thousand people and that still everyone kind of has an idea who else is in the race and that the race director can remember the name of everyone by just seeing um, or the face of everyone by just seeing the name on the GPS tracking during the race. That's uh, that's very interesting, very interesting. Uh, let's go a bit into another aspect. And uh, also there because we were making a comparison. So you were making the comparison with bigger events. But something that actually differentiates as well, the Inferno and from uh, Old Route and everything, is also the pricing tag, right? And this is actually coming exactly consequently from what you were saying. The organizers want to, or anyways, yeah, the, the pioneering, the founders of the race want to have an event that they could participate themselves. 
So the question here is, how much is the budget for taking part to that? Mm. Well, the that depends slightly on your travel budget because not everyone is based in the region of um, Geneva mm. or ANSI, which might make getting uh, might make getting actually to the start of the race more expensive than some other parts. But roughly at the moment, you're looking at um, between a thousand and one thousand two hundred euros for a team, meaning two riders, um, which then includes um, not only the so the race and the support during the race, which includes feed stations on all the passes and a GPS tracker on every team. So we know where you are on the course, if there's problems um, and so on, but also includes um, all the breakfasts, all the dinners um, and the hotel accommodation um, in um, Ansi, in um, Guillestre and in Montan at the finish line. And then that's why I said 1,000 to 1,200 euros. It depends a slight bit on if you need the hotel in Ansi, for example. If not, because you're from the region, then it's slightly less. If you need a transfer back to Ansi um, from Montan um, um, or not, some people are um, taking their car with them or with their family uh, to the finish line and then start their holidays from there. So it's roughly in this ballpark where um, I think it's, it's still an investment. It's not like no money, but um, if you look at the value you're getting for it, um, I think it's definitely a, one of the more affordable options on the calendar. Yeah, we're not saying that it's cheap, but for sure it's uh, it's something that actually can be accessible, especially because it could be really, I mean, uh, for, a, for a weekend or a long weekend for two persons, it's also with all the support that you're giving, you are talking about the tracking, you're talking about anyways assistance, if something happened, food during the race, but also before and after. And everything, I believe that actually, also was saying, it's not cheap. You can have way cheaper weekends, but also on the other side, compared with uh, whatever else is a trip on the bike, it's something that, yeah, you have to consider uh, for sure in the affordable point. Mm. Yeah, even if I go on a bike trip, just bikepacking with a group of friends um, or hotel bikepacking um, in winter, I'm not always too keen on sleeping outdoors. Um, I've paid around um, 300 to 400 euros as well. Normally, if I go out for three or four days, so yeah. it's in that range. Um, so it's not um, completely out of the possibility for 99% of the bike riders, like unfortunately some of the other very interesting events are. Yeah. And also we have to consider that's something that we have to say all the time. I mean, Everybody says, yeah, going out on the bike and traveling on the bike, it's super affordable. It's way more affordable than with the car. It's true. But people underestimate how much food you can get while you are riding the bike, especially for an event of the, for after a day of 250 kilometers and 6,000 meters of elevation. I think you eat a lot there. Mm. You have to get at least six, seven, eight thousand calories. I would and say even yes. Then you're probably yeah. not getting fully replenished after a ride like this. Um, yeah, 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 for sure. No, 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 for sure. I think, yes, the calories are between eight and 10,000, I would mm. say, personally, for personal experience after yeah. I ride like this. So, yeah, definitely. It's quite tricky to eat that much calories, actually, in one meal. <laughs> That's absolutely true. It's uh, And also during, I mean, I feel myself really, we're going to talk about also nutrition, but I feel myself really in, uh, in a complex situation for a long day on the bike, also eating enough, even if you stop and everything, because actually uh, your stomach just cannot process all this food. Mm. And the food on the feed stations is actually quite varied. Normally, it's 
a lot of fresh food means someone will be there to make you a sandwich with fresh cheese or fresh um, ham from the mm -hmm. region. But there will also be um, Coke, there will be um, all kind of Haribos, um, cookies. Um, in the last years, normally we had cake at least on the first day until we ran out. Um, there will be all kind of other drink options, isotonic drinks, water. Um, we're not serving wine during the day. Um, we're not going back that far in history of racing, but um, otherwise almost anything you might want to eat on a feed station will be there. I do remember, I think it was Emma Pulley talking about ultra cycling. I think it was her. She was the one saying this thing. Ultra cycling is not cycling. It's, um, it's an eating competition with some cycling close to it. That's <laughs> what it is for such a long day. <laughs> yeah, well, we're not as much into ultra cycling territory here because you don't have to scavenge um, bakeries also for your nutrition because there's feed stations which makes it easier but you still have to make sure that you're um, fully fueled all through the day perfect i want actually also to ask you another thing so um we were talking about actually yeah, the event itself and then the concept of it and everything related to that but my question there would be why I mean, you explain it with the name, but why starting from, uh, so why going through the, the Alps? Why starting from Anton and why arriving into, into Nice? Is for sure this inferno and so hell paradise point of view, but how came the first time into mind that, okay, let's do the Alps? Mm. I... Um, just to correct you, we're not starting in uh, Monton, but uh, finishing in Monton. Um, so no one gets confused. Yes, uh, exactly. Yeah. On sea. <laughs> um, part of the reason is that um, Bicyclet is based here. Um, so um, Bicyclet is based in Geneva because they're also serving rental customers and travel customers in Switzerland. But um, Ansi is just a short bike ride um, away from here. And it's considerably easier to get out by bicycle from Ansi than from Geneva. And then essentially it's a um, following mainly the Route des Grandes Alpes, um, which is an established um, kind of tourist route for cyclists, um, for drivers um, all through the Alps, um, which finishes in Montan. And also essentially if you take this route, um, you getting almost all the bucket list climbs in the Alps. Um, you may be missing Alp DS, which is a dead end, which makes it difficult to be included in a state race like this. But otherwise, all of the really big climbs, the really big names um, you might want to see on the Tour de France, like the Galibi, the Bonnet, the Col de Tourigny, they're all on the route. That's something that we need to talk about then straight away. I have here the full list. Shall I go through that? Yes, probably I should. So day one is going to be Col du Tami, Col de la Madeleine, Col du Telegraph, Col du Galibier, Col des We are talking about a really interesting one. Day number two, Col de Vent, and then Sim de la Bonnette. Here it is, is the day after, um, the, the highest one. Call the Saint Martin and call the Turini. My question is that's everybody that you have, but tell me, because you did it already, what is, in your opinion, the most challenging part? And is everything can be actually summarized with the list of the climbs that you are doing? Or there is something that actually people don't see here, but still is a good challenge to finish? Um. 
which is the most challenging? That's a good question. I think personally, I struggled the most on the Col de Var, um, the first one on the second day, which might seem counterintuitive, but getting up at four o'clock in the morning is really early for me. I'm normally not a big morning person. Getting in a lot of breakfast is then difficult for me at the time. And then I was in the Col de Var, I was just cold. I was a bit miserable, to be honest. Um, and took me quite some convincing to actually go up there. I was afraid that I might fall out of the time limit already there. And I was really struggling on that one. And then up on there, I um, um, it was sun, sunrise. It was beautiful. It started to finally get warm. Um, I could get some food there. Um, I even went into the small um, restaurant, which is there, to get a, another coffee because I felt I really needed it. And from there on, it was a lot easier for me. So that was the most challenging for me. Otherwise, I think the most challenging from the cycling perspective is probably the Col de la Madeleine. It just ne is never not steep. It's a very consistent climb, um, quite long. I think it's 26 kilometers from the side we're taking it, and it's relentless. There's no flat part in the whole climb. Um, all the other climbs, even the Bonnet, um, always have um, a bit of a flat part or they're considerably shorter like the Col de Tourigny is only 16 kilometers well only um, <laughs> but compared to some of the other climbs it's um, much shorter and so I think from the cycling perspective probably the Col de la Madeleine is the most challenging one um, and if we want to talk about the most beautiful I think that one has to go to the Col de Tourigny it's just in the south, you feel it, you can smell it, um, you have the smell of pine trees in the air, um, you're in this um, really south France, Provence landscape, and then especially the downhill from there, when you know that you have made it, um, you have the most beautiful downhill of all of them. There's a road with um, very famous switchbacks, which um, some people, especially older people, might remember from the... Um, from the rally around the call there with cars where there was a night race up there um, till the 1980s, I think. But it's um, a stunning downhill with amazing views almost all the way to the Mediterranean. So for me, that's the most beautiful one on the race. But every one of them has a very interesting history. We can look at the Col de Tami, which has his name from a cheese, which is made in a monastery close to it. Or you can look at the Col de Telegraph when you think, why is it called Telegraph? And then you look it up and actually it's, it was named like this because there's a, there used to be a telegraph on there. Um, Napoleon um, made the order to have telegraph lines, but not with cables, but with semaphore telegraphs, which are waving flags. Wow. And then you have to look at it from another um, station 20 or 25 kilometers away on another pass and um, have to replicate the flag signals, semaphore telegraphs. And they call the telegraph is named like this because there was one of the most important telegraph stations for um, France in the Alps built there in the early 1800s. That's super amazing. I mean, I'm already dreaming about that. I, I think actually I can tell you that personally, the only climb that I did of those is the Col de Turini. And you know what? I know that actually on top of the Col de Turini, it's also written in the um, Café du Cycliste website. And they made an interview with them who suggested me that I think you arrive to the top, you keep on, then you turn left where there is actually something like um, uh, a gate or stuff that you have to cross, and then you can continue on top, and there is something like another four or five kilometers climb only on gravel, 
that brings you in a super amazing place and then from there you can really see the old sea and you are mm. really in a remote place even if it's just four kilometers i think uh up to the climb yeah i'm just not sure if anyone might want to do another four kilometers of climbing after um almost 12,000 meters on the second day. <laughs> You're right. But actually, the thing that I want to ask you then that is really related to that, I know that you are also a gravel cyclist. The time that we ride together, last time we were here in Zurich doing the Utliberg, so super famous climb here in city center. Arrives not so high, I think around 900 meters of altitude, correct me if I'm wrong, mm. but more or less is that. But I know that actually you also ride gravel, you also like riding gravel. Is there any gravel sector there just because Calamaro is going to be happy? Um, well, unfortunately for you, but fortunately for most people, we try to keep um, off loose stones. Um, I, I told you already that um, the only time we had stones on the road, um, we had a lot of people hitting them in the dark and we had flats. So um, I think that might be a bridge too far if we also add um, like difficult to navigate road surface into the mix. Um, there has been on the Col de Turigny on the top, they have um, put this really small Flintstone-like stuff on there to make the road safer, but luckily they cleared it out last year um, before the Tour de France stage was um, crossing there um, a few weeks after the race. But um, no, there's no gravel part on this race, and I think for most for the sake of the tires and the um, safety of more of the participants we would like to keep it like this <laughs> <laughs> okay okay makes a lot of sense no gravel for me another yeah. question that i want to ask you is organizational wise also talking about the concept how many people usually follow the race and what's before and what's after i mean how does this uh work out um, do you mean with follow who are kind of part of the race crew or spectators uh, we can go into I was actually meaning the, the race crew but also spectators yeah. I would love to know a bit um, more once that you actually we, have, we had not many spectators that's probably the easier to answer question we had a few people um, last year who were joining us from ANSI who were based in the region and there were two teams from ANSI last year on the race so there were club colleagues from their running and triathlon club respectively who followed them to the second club I think all the way to the Madeleine by bicycle um, to cheer them on but otherwise there have been few spectators so far especially as the race is so stretched out and normally not inside cities um, for the race crew um, we have been um, about 10 to 12 in the last years there's normally um, essentially in the pre preparation it's um, me who is uh, doing the marketing efforts um, runs the instagram accounts um, tries to convince other bike stores to have flyers about the race organizes these info rides like we had yesterday um, on, uh, in ANSI um, and then we have um, Thomas at the store who is mostly responsible for the logistics sites, meaning hotel bookings, um, making sure that there's enough space, um, enough food, um, and these kind of things. And Basil, who's more um, organizing on the event side of things, who is adapting the the GPX um, trace every year to potential road crossers. Last year, there was a 10-kilometer stretch of road which was under construction, so we had to pass on the other side of a valley or these kind of things. And then during the race, um, we are joined by Marie and Raphael from Lyon, who are the race directors. So they are the ones who have to take decisions if someone is behind the time limit, how much 
leniency we might have or if there's allegations of cheatings uh, which hasn't happened so far but um in those cases they're kind of the responsibilities for uh, responsible for the uh, race side of things they're also doing the timing um calculated results over the two days afterwards and so on then we have a a car with the videographer and photographer um Arthur and Kevin who have been following the race for three years now as well and in on top of that we have normally three cars which are setting up the feed stations um and then also staying there uh, at least one or two people per feed station to prepare sandwiches and so on for the racers um give them blankets if they are cold and so on um and the fourth car which is then taking down the feed stations afterwards um so once the racers have passed through that's kind of the person responsibly take everything away the first of the cars for the feed stations also has the luggage um so it's at the hotel when the first riders arrive um and uh, finally we have the broom wagon um in the very back um so in case of larger technical issues um Bertrand might be able to help you or worst case you have to ride with him for the rest of the race makes sense i have two more questions about a bit more the concept the first mm -hmm. one i will start with constantine but at the end the inferno is it a race or not it is a race with timing and you can also win at least um, a little bit of in-kind prices at the end but i would say that for at least two-thirds of the participants normally they are mostly racing themselves um, or challenging themselves to finish such a big feat within the time limits but there's a few people who have come and who have really been way ahead of any schedule we had imagined um, finishing these big stages with averages close to 25 kilometers per hour and who are really serious about trying to be the first um but uh, i would say for about two-thirds of the participants it's more um that they want to have such a big challenge for themselves that they want to ride these passes without having to carry their own luggage and that they are kind of in a supported event um they're still out bike by themselves but they have the most support we can give them with the feed stations um with the gps x-trays and so on so they can come concentrate on actually pushing the pedals and don't have to worry about the surroundings while doing these big rides makes sense makes a lot of sense and the second question that they have is how inclusivity takes part to it we talked before about making the ride accessible the race sorry accessible to people by giving them all days of not organizing things so much but just riding the bike and putting also a price that not doesn't make you rich but just covers the cost that's why actually bicyclette stands to make the inferno as big as just let's cover the cost and that's it but also we were talking before about off records about your um spectrum of um ambassadors and you chose them personally of being mostly represented or completely represented by women riding right yeah at the moment uh, you are the only ambassador or partner we have which is not female um, yeah. but also has a beard like me <laughs> um so the um a lot of people who look at the um bicyclette inferno race just see first the numbers and think like this is way too much than what i can do and we kind of want to get away from this idea that this is just too much and especially a lot of female cyclists come and look at it and say like um, no women can do this i have spoken even with some cyclists um, 
like from development team, pro teams, um, because I was trying to see if they might be able to fit the race into their schedule. And most of them also first replied, like, um, I'm, I'm only a 19 year old woman. I can't race 250 kilometers in a day. It might seem crazy, but it's, I would really like to make the point that it's very doable for most people. Um, I've done it in 2020 with, um, the fiance of Brazil of one of the founders of the race. Um, as a team partner and she had not had a lot of time to train on the bike before so she had maybe done about 2000 kilometers the whole year before the inferno race and she still managed um and finished the race and this is kind of um the minimum standard like if you're just buying a road bike now and don't have time to cycle at all it might be a number too big but if you're someone who is at least regularly riding. doesn't matter if you're riding 50 kilometers a week or 100 kilometers a week or 200 kilometers a week. It seems to be really quite doable. And um, also with choosing mostly women as ambassadors at the moment, I'm really trying to make this point that this is not just something for um, men with a big ego and big legs, but that this is really something for almost anyone who likes to ride his bike. I think that's the most important part. You just don't have to ride a bike, but you have to like it. Otherwise, doing it for 13 hours in a day might not be so much fun. If you like to ride your road bike, um, the Bicyclet Inferno Race is doable for you. Perfect. Now I would go actually through four Q&A just with a few words needed for answer. First of all, Konstantin, how shall you choose your partner for the ride? Um, it has to be someone um, you still be able to like, even if you're not having a good time. Be uh, the hungry. good thing is you can, <laughs> yeah. If you're hangry, um, you have to be able with uh, to ride with someone who has another bar in his pocket Absolutely. and who understands that. Um, the good thing is you can get a few meters ahead on the bike quite easily, but. Um, if it's someone um, you can only deal with, if you're at your most patient, then it's not the right one. Um, choose someone um, who understands when you're getting hangry and has another cliff bar for you or um, who you understand if they are getting hangry and um, then be able to support. This makes sense. Second thing, what should you bring with you for this race? Um, definitely chamois cream. If you're sitting two days in the saddle, um, you need a lot of that. Um, and um, bring your most comfortable bib shorts. Um, might not be the lightest ones, but you will be spending a lot of time in the saddle. Um, make sure that your um, ass does still like you after two days. That makes sense. Second thing, what do you suggest people to bring for eating during the race because I, we all know we talked about that it's super difficult to uh, let's say um, swallow some food when you are so tired and so exhausted but what do you think is actually the best advice that you can give to people if you have to bring only one piece of food bring this um, I think I would go for something which is like a cliff bar or power bar kind of thing because you will get more hearty food at all the feed stations so if you want a sandwich a baguette um, these kind of things are available at the feed stations and i've made the experience that a lot of people don't deal with gels so well when they're on really long and especially hot rides they um they also don't give you enough energy for a long time so I personally have tried a lot of different brands for bars and I've stuck with Cliff Bars and Hard Bars, a small company from Chamonix. 
um, because they're the ones that always stay in my stomach no matter how hard I exercise. Um, so I would take something like this and I would make sure that I try it on a longer ride before if it's still um, is good food for you after 100 kilometers or if it's just something um, that you can, um, can eat when you're sitting on your couch but not really while exercising. Um, uh, why these bars and not like a Snickers or so? I think the main difference is that if you try to eat a Snickers at minus 20 degrees, it's completely hard frozen. You can only lick it and at plus 30 degrees, it's liquid. Um, somehow these companies like Power Bar or Cliff Bar or Sponsor have worked it out how um, the stuff stays in the same consistency through a lot of temperature ranges, which you will encounter on the Bicyclet Inferno race. That's perfect. The last question is, what bicycle to ride on the Inferno race? Um, I Definitely a road bike. Um, you unfortunately a little bit out of place with the gravel bike, especially with gravel tires. If you only have a gravel bike, you can definitely put on a different wheel set with smaller tires. Um, but otherwise, um, you have to be comfortable on the bike. So don't buy it the week before. Um, try to um, have your position dialed in or if you can't uh, bring your own bike and you have to rent one make sure that you have taken all the important measurements from your own bike and finally um, that may be a bit of a personal taste but there's some very very long downhills um, I would go for disc brakes um, there have been people who have been successful on rim brakes but you have to be a kind of an expert on how to brake on a 40 kilometer downhill and, uh, to be sure that you don't blow your tires off um, so that would be my personal suggestion perfect over with my q a quick questions now i have actually the last two things that i want to touch base the first one is the funny part do you have any anecdote or something that happened in the in the uh, if, i mean in the editions here it is in the edition that you took part at um maybe there might be one or two things um in the first in the zero edition in 2019 the um the triad of preparation edition chloe the fiancee of basil already tried to participate but um she was really struggling already on the first climb and in the end um Basil took two of his um, inner tubes he had as spares with him and um, kind of put put them around his seat post and around her handlebar and pulled her up um, the rest of the Col de la Madeleine. Um, Such an effort. Made for some really funny photos. Um, but um, as I said before, I have done the race with her then in 2020 and there she was slightly better prepared and um, she managed to finish within the time delay. So um, this is not to take a, a dig at Chloe. It's just one of the funny things. And the second thing is that in 2020, we wanted to visit the Café de Cycliste in Nice altogether, but we didn't really have a lot of vans or so available. So most of us um, decided to take the bus there, but there was no bus back to the hotel when we needed to get back. And the only one who was there with a van was our photographer. So he decided to stack eight of us in the um, trunk of his van without seats or anything um, <laughs> driving us through Nice like in a um, kind of um, an action movie style almost <laughs> we were sitting there um, really sweating and trying to keep the doors slightly open so we wouldn't completely suffocate and try that no one else could see that the door is open so we had a lot of fun but we're kind of lucky that he still has his driving license <laughs> that's perfect that's perfect I can imagine already the scene 
It's, yeah, sounds super nice. Then I have the last thing that I want to ask you, Constantine, because we are missing this part quite a bit. And the question is, how, if anybody here wants to take part to the event, how do they need to do where to go, how to do it, when the registration are open, when they're going to be closed, and all these details, the things that are quite important. Mm. Yeah, um, let's start from the beginning. Um, the registrations are already open. Um, you can register on the website of BCLET, bcyclet.com. Um, you can probably also put it in the show notes for the podcast. Um, the registrations will close um, towards the end of May or the first week of June. Um, that depends mostly on the cancellation periods with um, the hotels and so on. So far, about half of the spots are taken for this year. So um, you shouldn't wait too long if you really if you're sure that you want to do the race. Um, I think as of yesterday, we had already um, forty five percent of the spot taken. And um, if you um, want to sign up, also make sure that you don't miss the discount code, which will be in the show notes as well for the Broomwagon podcast listeners. How much is going to be? I don't know it. Sorry, people. I'm really unprepared. Um, it's going to be Inferno BW for Broomwagon 22. Perfect. And how much is the discount? It's 5% discount. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what are we missing? So, okay, they can then um, uh, subscribe until end of May, beginning of June. Ah, and when the, when the, um, the race is going to happen? Then? Uh, I, sorry, we didn't mention that so I, far. I, we didn't um, mention it at all. I'm going to be sure. The... I'm going to be sure to mention it at the beginning of the episode. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> No, the, the race is happening on the last weekend in July. So yeah. on the 28th of July, that's a Thursday. In the evening is the meeting in ANSI with the race briefing and the pre-race dinner. Then on the 29th and the 30th of July are the two stages. And on the 31st of July, we have the morning in um, Montan and then the optional transfer back to um, ANSI in the afternoon. Perfect. And then we are still missing the last thing. So as partner and as we talked about the event and everything related to that and also as you mentioned as being Broomwagon partner and ambassador I mean Stefan ambassador I mean and partner the Broomwagon um, there is also something else going on right something like a little raffle yeah because um, so far there's only one spot on the two-person Broomwagon team taken so the second spot on the Broomwagon team could be yours um, we will hold a raffle over the next two weeks um, on the Broomwagon Instagram page so you make have to make sure that you follow Stefano that you follow the Broomwagon podcast and the Bicyclet Inferno race on um, Instagram and then you will uh, find all the other details in the post that's perfect. Actually, I, there's something that I have to say here. So, the, the, so as Constantine correctly said, there is just one spot open for the raffle, right? The other one, it's supposed to be on me. Now, people, I really don't know if I can take part to the event because yeah, my fitness level this year is not super high. First, um, Constantine before was mentioning about having a, a small kid. That's exactly what's happening to me. Not so much time for riding. And also because of the other side, I would probably be sure and uh, like to try to see if I, I can actually be there as a bit more telling the story of the race instead of really riding it. Otherwise, I would have been actually climbing some steep 
climbs and going up some steep climbs with not so much breath and so not so much words to tell the story. So yeah, expect for sure a Broomwagon team there. But let's see if Stefan is gonna be. Maybe you can write here down in the connect in the comment or in the post that is gonna be linked. Whom do you want to have there? Or if you think that I should do it, probably there's gonna be something from the Instagram stories. Let's see. What do you think? Should I be there, Constantine? Well, I would be definitely very happy to see you at the race. And as I said, as long as you love to ride your bike, I think you could finish it. But if you also want to talk about it, it might be easier if you're um, in one of the cars. <laughs> makes sense, makes sense. Constantine, do we, did we miss something? Do we have still anything else that we have to mention? Mm. I think we covered the most important basis. Um, also, if anyone has questions on the race, um, we have people on the team of the Bicyclette Inferno who speak, of course, English, French, um, Italian, um, German, and Spanish. So um, in all those languages, we might be able to answer your questions. And um, we're always reachable on social media as well as by email over our website. Yeah, everything is going to be anyways, as you mentioned, down in the description below. Constantine, thanks a lot for telling us the amazing stories of these amazing climbs that are going to be ridden into the Inferno race. And I would say that, yeah, we are going to for sure talk soon and I can't wait for the moment that we are going to ride the bike together. You're doing a lot of cool, cool events and cool uh, rides this year. So probably that could be the thing. And Geneva and Zurich are not so far away. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking with you and I hope I see you soon. Of course. Ciao, Constantine. Ciao. So, people, how do you feel? Are you ready to jump on the bike to spend two days on the most beautiful French Alps passes? Well, I would say that you should. Two days of this kind of scenarios is gonna... They're gonna blow you away. And also 500 kilometers for more or less 11,000 meters of elevation are gonna change your perspective in cycling for a bit of time. So if you want to take part to the race, down there you're gonna find the link to participate and the code Inferno BW22 for 5% discount. Or if you want to jump on the Broomwagon team, go to my social media, Calamaro CC and the Broomwagon podcast, or just the Inferno Race Instagram account and take part to the raffle to be part of the Broom Wagon team. But keep in mind that if you want to be part of the Broom Wagon team, forget about winning because the transponder curse will arrive. As soon as I put a trigger on my bike, I stop competing. I'm already not competitive at all. So you can imagine how this can happen in proper races. I need to talk about that with my psychologist. That's another story. You don't want to get to know all these kind of details. I just want to tell you thanks for arriving till here and thanks to Bicyclette and Inferno for partnering up to make this event really possible for some of you into the race. So yeah, thanks a lot. It was great talk and I think that actually also you enjoyed a lot the talk with Constantine because yeah, it was just super great. So thanks a lot on that side. And also on the other side, thanks a lot to Komoot for supporting this podcast and keeping it as independent as possible for the things that we are doing, as well as your contribute down there, the coffee link, where you can really make the difference by offering me a coffee. Another thing that we can make all together the difference here is actually by listening and also down in the description below you're gonna find the link of the music that you're listening because Shasha Z, the label, Ukrainian label, they put together this mixtape is really supporting a lot all the Ukrainian people that at the moment are still really much in pain 
because of the bombing of the invasion of Russia in their territory. That said, I would say that also remember the COVID jar is also down below and that we are going to talk soon. But before that, maybe could be worth it to rate, subscribe and do whatever on the podcast. Another story is going to come soon. Another day is going to come soon. Now, people, it's time to go out and ride your bike. Exactly.